I'm back. <laughs> You're stuck with me this morning. No, it's a happy privilege to uh, be able to open the Word with you this morning. Richard and Emma are on a father-daughter trip out of town in North Carolina, so you can remember them in, in your prayers. And next Sunday, our friend Jeff Wilkins from RUF in Cookville will be joining us to preach. Today we're going to be looking at John 15 from the Gospel of John. Chapter 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So please turn there. I've noticed something, I'm sure you guys have too. People like to give advice. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, we love to give advice. Receiving it, not so much. And I'm sure you've gotten plenty of advice in your lifetime. Hopefully some of it good, probably some of it not, not so great, and we'll leave it at that. But there's a whole spectrum there of advice and kinds of advice we get. Here's just a few uh, of those widely used bits of wisdom that we hear kind of floating around these days. Be yourself. Listen to your heart. Trust your inner voice. The sky's the limit. Grin and bear it. Be tolerant. Be true to yourself. Seize the day. Don't believe everything you hear. And you can see there that whole spectrum of some pretty good advice and some not so great. There are two bits of advice that I've received over the years that really stick out in my mind. The first one came to me from my senior English teacher in high school, Miss Thomas. She kept me after class one day, and she said, Mr. Roberts, stop being so lazy. You may go now. And then the other one uh, came to me from my dad, who is not somebody to throw around words. And when I first started seeing Elisa, he grabbed me one night as I was on my way out, and he said, you're not treating her like the other ones, are you? This one's different. <laughs> I swallowed hard. That was good advice. Here in John 15, we actually see Jesus giving his disciples some of the final advice and instruction and encouragement that they will receive from him. They've spent the evening together in the upper room, and he's washed their feet, and he has warned them that one of them will betray him, and he's talked to them about him being the way and the truth and the life. He knows what's about to unfold. He knows that in just a few short hours, he's going to be turned over to the officials. And he has just a few minutes with his beloved disciples to leave with them the final things that he wants them to know and understand and wrestle with and remember. So, 
as we read this, it's really important that we have that firmly in place in our minds. This is the calm before the storm. Jesus is right here in the middle of this really pressurized moment with the disciples. And he's leaving this with them. So let's read it together. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my commandments, my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Do you sense the, the urgency there? Jesus wants his disciples and he wants you and I to have these words firmly implanted in us. Let's pray together. Father, Lord God, every good gift, every good gift comes from you. Your word is as alive now as it was then. Your Holy Spirit of Jesus himself is alive here in us. So please bring the two together so that we can understand and apply in a deep, deep, meaningful, life-giving, life-changing way what Jesus was leaving with his disciples. So that you're glorified and so that our joy might be full in you. Amen. This image of the vine and the branches to us in our modern suburban minds, uh, it, it has a tendency to kind of come off as like a little quaint, a little picturesque, almost a novelty because wine is a luxury to us. It's something extra. So we, we see this image and it seems... A little quaint to us, we think, oh, you know, how pretty. Jesus is like a vine, and there's some pretty leaves and maybe a field. And a little Italian man comes to pluck some grapes. We're so far removed in our culture, most of us, from 
the agricultural kind of lifestyle that it it can seem a little fluffy and oversimplified, almost like a Thomas Kincaid painting. You know, that's nice, but it's not very real or vital. So we're going to try to work a little bit to unpack the urgency of this idea of the vine. And it's very important that we remember the setting again. The disciples are about to go out into battle, and their general, Jesus, is leaving with them his final set of instructions, his last encouragement, his farewell address. Roman numeral one, if you're taking notes, Roman numeral one is crisis in the vineyard. As Jesus and the disciples are talking, there is a crisis in the vineyard of Israel. The people of God. Verse one tells us that the father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Intending the garden is not just a hobby for him, something that he does to pass the time. He has a purpose and a plan, a very specific plan, and he expects results. He expects to get a return on all that he's invested in his people over centuries and centuries, cultivating them. But what has he gotten for his trouble with the nation of Israel? Not much. The idea of the vine is a very old, old thing in the Jewish tradition. When Jesus brought it up, the disciples knew immediately what he was talking about. They had heard it their entire lives. They had heard that the nation of Israel was the vine. It's used all through the prophets and and Psalms in many places. The vine had been one of God's main ways of describing this thing that he had created called his nation of Israel, and they had a set purpose beyond just being pretty. It was supposed to bear fruit for the gardener. But as you guys know, Israel utterly failed over the centuries with their failures and rebellions and wicked kings and so on and so forth. Take a look at your bulletin there if you have it on hand. Let's look at an example of this. The passage that we read in Hosea. Chapter 10 there. Just take a look at that again. The Lord says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit, Israel, increased, the more altars he built. Those aren't good altars. They're idolatry altars. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. And now they must bear their guilt, and the Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. So there's judgment in the vineyard. The people of Israel, of course, knew that they were the precious vine of God. That had been, they'd been called such over and over again. Jeremiah, and Psalms, and Ezekiel. That was what they were taught from a young age. That God had lavished all of these gifts, His law, and kings, and saving them out of exile. He had lavished them, and they were the special vine. In fact, it was so stamped on their national consciousness that I've never been there, but when you walked in from the old temple in the time of Jesus, if you were in the courtyard and you walked through the main gate, there was a golden, a giant golden vine that hung over the door. That was the final thing they saw as they walked in. 
the Jewish historian Josephus put it this way, it was completely overlaid with pure gold, as was the whole wall around it. And what's more, it had more golden vines, which supported grape clusters as tall as a man, over the door of the temple as they proceeded in. So Israel knew God's expectation for them. And the reason behind it was that they would so abundantly produce fruit that the other nations of the world would see it, right? And would look at them and say, wow, that has to be the one true God because Israel is so pure and Israel is like her God. So, back in the upper room. Jesus is with the disciples, and he says an earth-shattering thing to them. He has come to solve this crisis. He says to the disciples, Israel is no longer the vine. What you've always heard and what you've been taught from the time you were little, that's gone. Jesus says, I am that vine. I am the true vine. And I'm making you the branches. And you can be sure they perked up when he said that. This is a terrible example, please forgive me. But it would be something like if someone said to us, I am the land of opportunity. I am the home of the free. Except even more significant than that. That's, that's my best shot. <laughs> Jesus is saying he actually is that thing. And he says to the disciples, but you are the branches. And that's a good thing, but in and of yourselves, you are like Israel, and you can do nothing on your own. The gardener still expects and demands fruit rightfully, love and obedience, but you can't produce it. Try as you might, it will get you nowhere. And the truth is, you and I are like the disciples in that way, are we not? We cannot produce the fruit that the Lord desires in and of ourselves. Now this is where this passage starts to hit home with us. You and I want to bear good fruit. We, we want to be productive people. That's how we're wired. We're made in the image of God to want that. We want to look back on our lives and see achievements and good children and happy homes and things have gone well. And that's, that's good. We, we desire fulfillment and satisfaction. But Jesus says everything that we attempt on our own will amount to nothing. He's made us branches, and that's good. It's good to be a branch. But we are just branches. So there's comfort in that, and there's a warning in that. All of our best efforts in striving and pushing ourselves, it will come to nothing without Him. And worst of all, those who do not abide in Him, as the passage says, will be cut off from the vine and burned away. And that's a sobering warning that 
we can't get around as we look at this passage. So as we dive deeper into the teaching, we have to examine ourselves and our application here. What sort of fruit am I producing in my life? Is it the fruit of my own desire? Fruit that I've elevated up and said, this is my priority, this is what I want to see my life produce? Or do we see what Jesus is describing, love and obedience and joy? And we have to ask that question. What kind of fruit am I producing? Now, I have to apologize to you here because I led you right into a trap there. It's right to examine ourselves. As believers, we should do that. But when we look inwardly and honestly, we try to assess ourselves, what do we find? It's never good, right? When you ask yourself, what kind of fruit is my life producing? We immediately go to, well, I was angry wrongfully with my kids this morning. I said an unkind thing to my spouse. That thing I did at work, that sin that I have hidden away, way, 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 way back there that I don't want anybody to see. That's what our mind goes to when we examine ourselves. Because in and of ourselves, we can do nothing and we can produce no good fruit. That's the bad news. But, but, that beautiful gospel word, but, there is good news. Dramatic pause. Sorry. Jesus doesn't stop there. He holds out the gospel to the disciples and he gives them hope. And he says, when you look at yourself, you'll see absolute death and destitution and decay. But if you look at me, I am the true vine. And I have made you my branches. So we have to, after we examine ourselves as believers and find this, this reality, we have to turn and behold Jesus. We have to do that. That needs to become a habit with each one of us. Almost a ritual that we teach ourselves. As we look inward, and each one of us does it, every day, many times a week, we turn on the things that we have done and failed at. But if we end there, that's not the gospel. We then turn and look to Jesus. Repeat that. See our own lack and see His worth. See our own lack, but see His worth. Roman numeral 2. There is life. There is life in the true vine. Jesus says, If you abide in me, my life will pour out into you. His life will be poured out into us. His fruit will be poured out into us from the infinitely deep resources that are stored up in him. He pours that out into us. And the fruit of Christ's life is cultivated in us. The other day, Dunn and I were out in the yard and we were just goofing around and he found this little brown hard thing on the ground. And he's like, what's that, Daddy? 
And I knew what it was because I had seen it many times running over it with the lawnmower. And I didn't tell him. I just said, keep looking. And then he found another little hard brown thing on the ground. And then another and another. And he followed it all the way back. And those were the roots of this giant oak tree in our yard that shades the whole house. When we abide in Jesus, He takes us in as His branches into the expanse of His greatness and He supplies what we need and what we lack. He gives us life, what we're thirsting for, what we're wanting fulfillment in. And we spend our lives running around searching for it in so many ways. He pours His own fruit out into His branches. Now, this word abide that appears over and over again. What does it mean exactly? In English, the word abide is, is kind of lame. It's not nearly as active and strong as it should be. You know, we hear the word abide and it kind of means like hang out, take it easy, just abide. But the word in, in the Bible is actually very proactive and strong. And it's more like this. Remain. Do not stray. Do not defect. Do not desert. Do not leave, but actively remain. This is your home. This is your root, and remain in it, and don't leave. In trying to understand what Jesus has done for us, You've heard the example used of the courtroom. This is an excellent example of the courtroom where the father is the judge and the criminal is brought before him and the charges are read and the verdict is guilty and the sentence is death. And that's us. But then the son comes and he says, No, try them on my record. Based on my perfect record, Jesus has let him or her go free. And we are pronounced innocent. Well, that's the doctrine of justification. And that's a wonderful, beautiful, amazing thing. But that's not the whole story. There's actually more to it. There's this thing called adoption. Think about this. Okay? Criminals. We... As, as criminals, as sinners, um, those of you that work in law enforcement or some of you that are attorneys, you probably know this well. The recidivism rate for a criminal, for someone that's convicted of a crime, is very high when they're turned back out, when they serve their sentence. They go back to what they know, right? It's sad but true. They go back to crime. They can go back to the streets. So a criminal needs more than just to be declared innocent and set free. With the whole gospel, the rest of the story goes more like this. What if the judge, after pronouncing the son guilty on my behalf, said, now, Colin, I'm not going to let you just go back out and try to make it on your own. That's not going to do. You have to come and live with me. 
Imagine if a judge said this. You have to come and live with me and live in my house. I've already had the papers drawn up. I have an ID for you. I've already prepared a room for you. I am rich. And everything that I have at my disposal is yours. You can have the place that was my son's place. And that's what we have. So when Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you, the fruit of his life is what he gives us. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of those beautiful things. Now that's the comfort. Here is the challenge. It demands continued abiding on our part. We are secure in His love and in His adoption. But it demands that we continually abide. Ten times Jesus says, abide in these eleven verses. Jesus knows that there will be many distractions for His disciples and that the idols of their heart will cause them to fall into sin and they are about to go out into the battle and the storm will rage and He tells them over and over again, I am abiding in you. You must abide in Me. Remain in Me. Don't fall back on your own strength. He knows what happens, what Peter is about to do. Peter goes out in his own strength and his own false bravado, and he utterly fails. Jesus says, remain in me. You ever have this happen to you? You're, you're cruising along, and days, weeks go by, and everything's great. And then all of a sudden, bam, you fall back into temptation. Or you wake up and you're just in despair or in a deep spiritual funk. And what we usually do there is we usually dwell on ourselves, right? And we dwell on our own fruit and our own lack. But we're supposed to turn and behold Him, the true vine, and that He has made us His branches and taken us into His expanse. And He will provide the strength and satisfaction that we need so desperately. How do we remain in the vine? We're doing it. We're doing it right now. That's how we remain in the vine. Jesus says ten times here to remain in the vine to His disciples. He says, you'll be scattered, but remain in the vine. We're doing it. We need to encourage one another and find brothers and sisters. We can't do it on our own. Do you, do you think, do you ever have days where you think, I've got this. I'm good. Be careful. You can't. I can't. We have to remain in the vine and don't leave it. Don't desert it. Abide in Him as He is in you. Last point, Roman numeral 3. Fruitful branches. 
some more good news. We should expect to be pruned. We should expect to be pruned as fruitful branches. Sounds fun. Ooh, please, can I be pruned, Lord? In the vine growing process, as I understand it, there were two times, there were then and there are still now, there are two times when pruning happened. In the spring, as the branches were about to flower and begin producing fruit, they would prune for these four reasons. So that the branches wouldn't grow too rapidly and lack the support they needed to be held up. So that the misshapen branches wouldn't be snapped off in the wind or the rain. So that room enough could be made for space, for the fruit to grow. And the last one, for the removal of what they call suckers that grow up and reach up and try to pull the branches down. Do you think Jesus knew those things when he told the disciples that they would be pruned? He will prune us because he loves us, just as you or I have to discipline our children. And we're, especially as adults, we think we're past that, right? And we don't like it. We don't like to be corrected at all. But the Father knows that if we aren't lovingly tended to by Him, we will be snapped off and dragged down. But unlike our discipline, He is always perfect and kind and fully aware of the end result. So Jesus warned the disciples that they should expect to be pruned. That's humbling. One of the chief signs, the Bible tells us, of a mature believer is that he or she is able to receive correction. <sighs> like Proverbs 9, 8. I know many of you know it. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. We live in a proud culture where standing up for yourself is celebrated. And it's not in our nature to appreciate pain and to equate it with love. But as a believer, we have to remember that remaining in the vine and abiding in Him will require that we be pruned. And He prunes us in wisdom. But it still hurts. He will take things away from those that He loves. And He'll humble us in certain circumstances. And He may afflict us, and He may withhold things from us that we want so badly we think we'll die if we don't get it. But after we pitch our little fit, if we ask Him for the grace to receive it, He will give it to us. And then time passes, and lo and behold, fruit. Because the true vine has poured Himself into us. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been pruned? It stinks. But when it happens, know 
that what your mind is telling you that God hates me is actually the exact opposite, right? Because he loves you, he prunes you. And then, of course, there's the second pruning. The first one's in the spring, the second one's in the fall. And this is, this one is the dreadful kind, that those that don't abide in the branch and the vine and bear fruit are cut off and burned. Last point, letter B. This is a sweet one. All this stuff that we've discussed, this need to bear fruit, and the urgency to abide and remain in the vine over and over again, ten times, abide, abide, abide. It's all His work. It's His garden. It's His vine. We're His branches. The true vine is His vine. He doesn't say to us, all right, go, take off. You're on your own. Good luck. Bear fruit. Actually, He gives us the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing thing to realize, and, and you guys can go on and look at it on your own and study this whole section from John. Chapter 15 that we're talking about here is bookended by Jesus telling the disciples that He's going to give them the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14 and chapter 16. He's saying, Abide in Me, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He gives us Himself and all His power and wisdom and expertise. Um, look with me there. Let's look at chapter 14. Back up just one chapter there. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then look again. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Our application here at the end. Please don't leave today saying, I've got to produce better fruit. I've got to do better. I, I hope I haven't communicated that. Leave rejoicing that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And leave knowing that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and all the things that are happening in your life, things that don't seem good, are good because he is pruning you and shaping you to bear His fruit. Leave trusting in His strength and in His ability to do these things and not in yourself. The Lord has us right where He wants us. We're branches. 
but we're just branches. His branches. And it's good to be a branch. I'm going to close with John chapter 16, verse 33. You can turn there if you have your Bible open. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Abide in him as he abides in us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your gospel, and we thank you that it is not about us being perfect and doing everything right, because we won't last five minutes if that's the case. But we abide in you as you abide in us, and you bear your fruit in us, and we ask you to do that. I pray that each person here that knows you would cling to you and that those that don't know you would see their need and that we would all seek to abide in the true vine, the only vine that supplies and satisfies and fulfills us. Bless each person, bless these families, and bless the hearing of your word. We say in Jesus' name, Amen.